Thanks, fellas. Appreciate that. We invite your attention to the book of Romans 8.37 and then the book of Revelation. Would you find that, please? Romans 8.37, familiar verse by now to many of you. And then again, Revelation chapter number 19, if you want to find that. I'm going to try to live up to the mantra of that great theologian, Elizabeth Taylor, who said to all of her husbands, I'll not be keeping you long. There's a couple of things wrong with that statement, isn't there? First of all, I probably can't live up to that, and then she's no great theologian. But anyway, Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, we find a familiar verse. This is the 10th subject, the 11th lesson in our series. This is the final session, the final lesson on our series called More Than Conquerors. For those of you that are just joining us, we want to give you a little bit of background in that Romans 8.37 is our key verse throughout this whole series. And it simply reads, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When the Lord first laid all of this stuff on my heart, it, it had to do with the fact that I was seeing repeatedly as, as a pastor, a lot of people that belong to the Lord, a lot of saved people who just seemingly struggle day in and day out with living up to that title. We are more than conquerors. And so I started looking at it and the Lord started laying some stuff on my heart and that began to unfold the series that we're in. We come to this last thought and by no means is it to be minimized because it is the last of our lessons. As a matter of fact, we probably should have started with this one because if we get this one right, everything else falls into place. And we're going to call it our authority, our authority. And I, I started thinking about this. I said, you know, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, that very word, authority, it, it creates sort of an emotional reaction, doesn't it? And I, I started wondering why that is the case. I think by nature, we don't like that word. We, and, and maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but, but by nature, we tend to... Um, resist authority we don't really like being told what to do now help me out turn to your neighbor and say he's talking about you would you do that <laughs> we don't we don't really like being told what to do nobody does and so when we talk about authority we enter that realm where somebody has control over us and we don't like that we we don't like that but when it comes to the lord having control over us. We can't be more than a conqueror if we don't recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So everything really hinges on this idea. So when we talk about authority, we're talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a few definitions and read to you a passage. We already read the passage from Revelation. DJ, our youth pastor, read that to us a little while ago, but I want to reiterate it to you, if I may, in just a moment. Before we do that, I'd like to ask you to join me in a time of prayer, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We come to you today, Lord, and we ask you just to bless the time we spend now around your word. Lord, I just thank you for each one that's here. We pray your blessings on those who are traveling today, Lord, many, many of our people out and about on this holiday weekend. And God, you have led us people who are on vacation themselves that have come into your house today to worship with us. And we're so grateful for that. And Lord, we just ask now that you help us, Lord. We know that each of us are, are here listening to your word for a reason. 
you have something for us. And I pray, God, for the powerful work, that personal work of the Holy Spirit today. Teach us, we pray, concerning the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Revelation 19 is a powerful text. We looked at that a little while ago. It is the text in which the second part of the second coming of Jesus takes place. Remember that the coming of Christ is in two parts. We have the rapture, which is part one, if you will. He doesn't actually return to the earth, but he comes in the air. And those of us who know him go to be with him. And then, then we have the return of the Lord to the earth, the second advent it's called. And that's what we're reading in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to ask you today this, this question. Don't answer it out loud, but think about it. The majority of us here today have probably made him our savior. But the question today is, have you made him your Lord? Maybe that's the wrong question, as we'll study in just a moment. You really don't make him Lord. But the question is, really, have you recognized his lordship? I suggest to you that there are many people, many, who have made him their savior and have never truly grasped the idea that he is Lord. You say, is that even possible? Well, that's an age-old argument among those who study the scriptures and are teachers of the Bible. But I do know this, I have read the testimonies of men like F.B. Meyer and even Stephen Alford who have cited that at a point in their ministry, they began to realize long after they had been saved, long after they had been used by God in some wonderful ways, they then realized there was a bit of an epiphany that took place in their life where they said, you know something? I have not fully recognized the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And when they made that decision, God began to use them in remarkable ways thereafter. So I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, while you would never deny saying he is Lord, do you live in such a way that he's actually Lord? Lord of your life. It's a sobering thought and a question we need to answer. We think about authority. Let me give you a definition of the word. According to Webster, he says, it is power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. I want you to think about that for a moment. An authority has the power to influence, command, thought, opinion, behavior. So is Jesus then our authority? Have we recognized that? Do we live accordingly? The word Lord is interesting in the passage we just read and in many passages such as Romans chapter 10 verse number 9. You remember that passage that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead then you'll be saved. The word Lord in that text, Lord of Lords in Revelation chapter 19 same word. 
It is the Greek word kyrios, and it means literally he whom a person or things belong, about which he has the power of deciding. The owner, he who has sovereign control. In the scriptures, we find a lot of parables where Jesus talks about this man who owned a property or this man who had great possessions. He's called Lord in that text. Many times you read the parables, you see that Jesus is talking about the Lord who did this. He gave his goods to his servants and, and then he left and he came back and he called them in for an account. And so what the Bible is telling us is Jesus is Lord. That is, he is owner. He is sovereign ruler of our life how many places are there in our life for sovereign rulers two do we co-rule do we co-reign with Jesus now we would never say that we do but in fact many of us think we do that our say means as much if not even more than what he might say now, there are some things we need to establish, and one of those comes, I think, very uh, well put by Dr. Roger Wilmore, pastor of First Baptist Church in Boaz, Alabama. All of you Bama fans say amen. amen. There are a few of them in the church. Yeah, all right. I knew there was a few of you out there. There you go. All right. Well, now we're going to start the gator chomp. Somebody, no, okay. But Dr. Wilmore made this statement. When the lordship of Jesus is a settled issue in the Christian's life, all other issues are settled. Amen. Now, let me read that again to you. Leave it up on the board for just a moment for us. When the lordship of Jesus is a settled issue in the Christian's life, all other issues are settled. If we get this one right, we get all the rest of it right. This is so very important. When we think about authority, and I, I began to do a little bit of just contemplating this whole thing. Where did you learn authority for the first time? Well, it was probably parental authority. Would you agree? I find it interesting because when you're little, your parents, you know, uh, they kind of slap your hand or, or they say, no, 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 no. And then they get mad that that's your first word. No, no. It's the word you've heard the most. And so you, you develop that before there's mama or anything else. It's no. And because that's what they hear so much. And, and it's an interesting thing. We're, we'll talk more about the parental authority a little later on. But it's interesting, isn't it, how that, that we begin to establish just how far we can go. We begin to look at what the borders of the authority are. Now think with me for a moment if this is not the case of natural, the natural man. We know how far we can take mom. We know how far we can take dad. We know if we can play one against the other. We know one has a greater boundary than the other. One has a little more liberty than the other. Can I get an uh-huh? We learn all of that based on us testing authority. What can I get away with? There's educational authority. At some point in time, you begin to realize what the teacher demands of you, what the school demands of you, what you can do and what you can't do, what we can get away with. Amen? 
And that goes on even through college years. You begin to learn one professor actually not only says you need to read the book, but if you don't read the book, you're in trouble. Because you can't pass the test. The other guy, he don't care. He tells you to read it, but never tests you on it. So you learn all those things. Then there's governmental authority, of course. We have the authority in our, in our, uh, in our, uh, in our city and in our, our nation. And most of you learn what you can do there. If I were to say to you, what is the safe miles per hour you can go over the speed limit without getting a ticket? Most of you can tell me that. And I ask why? What happened to the actual speed limit sign? It's because we test authority. It's our nature to test authority. There comes a point in our life when God is looked at various ways based on the experience that we've had concerning authority. And you know he's a merciful God. You know he's a loving God. You know he's a forgiving God. And so I suggest to you that we sometimes test him to the point of ignoring that he is Lord. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he's supposed to be recognized as the sovereign ruler of our life. But we test authority. Reminded of the one little boy who said to his mama, he said, you know, you never complain about the dirt that I track out of the house. It's always what you bring in. It's weird how we approach this subject of authority. S.W. Zwimmer, I'm not sure he's the original one, but he's uh, the one that's attributed for the saying that many of you have no doubt heard, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And that's a tremendous, a tremendous statement, but the truth of the matter is that our acceptance of whether or not he is Lord doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. But I want to talk to you for a moment about recognizing him as Lord of your life. Do we have this thing down? Do we, do we have it correct when it comes to living more than a conqueror? I suggest to you that you'll not be a daily conqueror. You'll not live up to the title that God has given you if you don't recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the place of Jesus as our authority in our life. There are three things that are required. We're going to talk about those. Number one is our acceptance of Jesus as Lord. Let's talk about this for just a moment. This involves surrender. Lordship involves surrender. We need to accept him as our Savior. Now, for your notes, you want to fill in, if you will. This involves acknowledging two things. We need to acknowledge his person, and we need to acknowledge his power. Now, let me talk about these with you for just a moment. We said a little while ago that you don't make Jesus Lord. He is already Lord. But have you accepted him as Lord? Many times when we trust Christ as our Savior, we do just that. We realize that we can't get to heaven without him. We realize that there's nothing that we can do uh, in order to gain forgiveness of sin. So we have to depend on what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. So we ask him to be our Savior. And it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of growth in that relationship before we fully realize that, wait a minute. The scriptures were very clear that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And so we stop and we look at that word Lord. 
Now, there are many who would argue, and I, I know maybe some of you are in here today or maybe some of you are watching online. There are many who would argue that if you don't acknowledge him as sovereign ruler and, and Lord, then you've never truly even been saved. But I find it interesting that so many people don't even think about this. So many. They know they're saved. They've trusted Christ, what he did on the cross of Calvary. But that's hereafter. Now, lordship involves the here and now. Amen? It involves every day, every decision, every thought, every, every motive. It, it involves whether or not our life is actually his or whether it's ours. And we have included God because he can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that is give us eternal life. But what about leading us in our life if we recognized who he is? His person, when we think about his person, he is the incarnate word. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, verse 1, and then down in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we're talking about the incarnate word of God. He was eternally God as the word of God, and he became man and dwelt among us. This is the person of Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He never sinned. He lived his life tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin, the Bible says. The person of Jesus Christ. The power of Christ. We think about the power to forgive sin. The power to give eternal life. What, what a remarkable thing this is. How about what Romans chapter 1 records for us? That by the single solitary act, one single solitary act, he was declared to be the Son of God, and that act was the resurrection from the dead. The kind of power, what kind of power is that? It's remarkable. The resurrection power. It's the same spirit, by the way. We sing the song, but the song is based on a scripture out of the book of Romans. It's the same spirit that dwells in us that raised Christ from the dead. So based on his person and based on his power, let us accept the fact that he is Lord. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Philippians chapter 2 paints an interesting picture for us, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Notice verse 9 and 10. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. A name above every name. Joseph didn't give him the name. Mary did not give him the name. His heavenly Father gave him the name. God gave him the name. And the Bible said it is a name exalted above all names. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Not made so by us, but should be accepted as so by us. Jesus was in debate with the religious crowd around him and he quoted to them in Luke chapter 20. Uh, he simply, uh, verse 42, the Bible says, Now David himself 
said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? You see, the, the, the religious crowd said the Messiah would come and he would be the son of David. And Jesus said, well, now, wait a minute. Back in Psalms, and he's talking about Psalm 110 and verse number one. Back in Psalms, uh, David said he is Lord. How can he be both Lord and son? What's he trying to say? And Jesus was making them think in terms of the fact that while he was a descendant from the line of David in his earthly form, he was Lord over all. And David recognized it. The problem was the crowd around him didn't recognize it. And I suggest to you today that some today struggle with it. That indeed he is Lord. Well, if he's Lord, it requires not only our acceptance of this, but it also Number two, requires our accessibility. Our accessibility by Jesus as our Lord. Are you available to him? This involves service. The Lordship involves not only surrender, but it involves service. There's a great passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 8 that I'm going to read to you in just a minute. But before we do that, let me uh, draw your attention for your notes sake to two thoughts. And that is we acknowledge his purchase and we acknowledge his plan in this area. Our accessibility to him. If he is Lord and we belong to him, then when he speaks, we should do what he asks us to do. Would you agree? Not make ourselves of, of no availability to him. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8 says it pretty clearly. Where the prophet said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So you get the picture. King of kings, Lord of lords, and here we are as his servants ready to do whatever his will is. Matthew chapter 8, I mentioned to you a moment ago. Let me read it to you beginning in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a, certain, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now let me pause for a moment. I want you to, to consider what this man is saying. Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, he's a soldier, and he's in charge of a large number of soldiers. And he says, Lord, I know that I'm not worthy. So if you'll just speak the word, then it'll be done. Now, he uses this to teach us how he has arrived at recognizing the lordship of Christ. Listen to what he says. Verse number 9. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. You know what the man said? The man said, look, I, I have recognized earthly authority. I am in a position of authority. 
I have soldiers under me. I have servants under me. I, I answer to someone else above me. I know how this thing works. That's what he's saying to Jesus. And I understand if you are Lord and uh, if you are Lord of all, then I know all you have to do is speak the word and it is done. So I ask you this question today. Do you understand the authority of God? Do you understand the Lordship of Christ to the point that whatever he says, that ought to settle it? There's no debate, there's no arguing, there's no I'm not sure, there's no I'm not available. Can I get an amen or an aha? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, Paul asks young Timothy to consider this. He gives to him this, this uh, in light of, of understanding commitment of a soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now we have a lot of military in our church and we're very thankful for all of our military. We have some that are active and some that are retired now. And, 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 and so let me point this uh, out by using an illustration that all of our military can I'm sure understand imagine for a moment that uh, that you're serving in the armed forces and someone walks up to you who is your superior officer and they tell you that you need to be at such and such a building at four o'clock on the base you need to be there don't be late imagine if you were to look at that officer and say now hold on just a minute I got stuff to do I'm an important individual and I've got a busy schedule and I got stuff I got to do. I don't know whether I'll be there at four or not. Now we laugh at that and we cut, and most of you that are, I'm, I'm looking at some of the faces of our military and you say, yeah, right, you try that. Yeah, that's right. But the Lord speaks and we say, well, now wait a minute, Lord, I got stuff to do. Oh, we're not laughing anymore. What happened? <laughs> now, wait a minute, Lord. I, you, you don't understand. I got, you know, the Bible talks about Sunday. The, you know what the Bible calls Sunday, the first day of the week? Calls it the Lord's day. Well, now, wait a minute. I got stuff to do. Well, is it the Lord's day or is it not the Lord's day? The tithe belongs to the Lord. The Bible. Well, now, wait a minute. Now you're meddling, preacher. Now you're meddling. I just don't, I don't know whether I can do that or not. I don't know whether I can bother or not. The Bible talks about things like witnessing and living for him and praying and, and, and shining our light. And, and, but now hold on a minute now. We just, uh, uh, we, I get to it if I have time. So is he Lord? Or is he simply this wonderful savior that you know has forgiven you of your sin who really you serve at a level of convenience I was reading one particular writer who wrote down what he calls the three A's of Christian service. Anywhere, anytime, any cost. Anywhere, anytime, any cost. If he's Lord, that's how we serve. Amen. 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 Dr. Stephen Alford, I mentioned him earlier he had uh, recorded a story from a mentor of his, Graham Scroggie. 
Dr. Scroggie was preaching a message at Keswick Convention in England, and a young lady came up to him, was moved by his message. His message was on the Lordship of Christ. And she said, I, I, have, a, I have a problem, Dr. Scroggie. She said, I, I want to give the Lord my life, but I'm afraid that if I do, that he will send me somewhere as a missionary, and I don't want to go. So Dr. Scroggie opened his Bible and showed her Acts chapter 10 and verse 14. It is the story in which Peter was on the rooftop praying and God sent down the sheet and there were all manner of beasts in the sheet that Peter would consider as a Jew to be unclean to eat. And, and God said, take and eat them. And he said, not so, Lord. And Dr. Scroggie pointed out, not so, Lord. And he showed the young lady the passage and he said simply this, the not-so of Peter was impertinent. He handed the woman a pencil and he said to the young lady, he said, now here's what you need to do. You need to either mark out the not-so or you need to mark out Lord. Because not-so Lord is not the right answer. Either he is Lord or it's not-so. Either we reserve the right to tell him what we're going to do. We either dictate to him or he dictates to us. And in the Lordship of Christ, we learn to get that thing right. And the story is actually told and recorded that the woman sat down and for some time struggled with it. And finally, with tears in her eyes, Dr. Scroggie saw her mark out the words, not so. Not so. So is he Lord or is he not Lord? Is he Lord to a degree or is he sovereign ruler of your life? Whether you're a teenager or a senior saint or whoever you are and whatever you do, do you subject it all to his will or do we still dictate to him? You know, the truth of the matter is we could labor this further. A lot of our prayers act as though we are Lord. We're busy sending him orders all the time. We get up in the morning, God, here's what I'd like for you to do today. You don't have to amen it. I know it's true. It's, true. it's a fact. We, Lord, here's what I'd like for you to do today. And, and, and that seems to put us in the position of dictating to him. Not, Lord, what do you have for me to do today? Lord, you understand all things. How is it you want me to do this? What do you want me to do today? If it's your will, then let me do this. If it's not, Lord, show me what it is you want me to do. Last of all, and we're in shock. Third point already, we're there. Our accountability to Jesus as Lord. Lordship involves satisfaction. Our accountability to Jesus uh, parents, let me, uh, let me say a word to you, if I may, please. Actually, before I do that, let me go ahead and give you the points you can fill in the blank. If, if we are understanding the accountability to Jesus, this involves acknowledging his position and acknowledging his pleasure. He is in a position to call us in for accountability. Can I get an uh-huh? He is Lord. Whether or not we are living that way doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. And you can sit here today or you can listen by way online and you can say in your heart, you don't even believe there is a Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. The day will come when you will meet him. And you will stand before him. And you will give an account. You say, I don't believe in that. You're believing it doesn't change the fact that it will happen. 
He is Lord. And he will call us in for accountability. If you're saved, you're going to give an account of the judgment seat of Christ. If you're lost, you're going to give an account of the great white throne judgment. But in both cases, we will stand before Jesus. He is the judge. And we will give an account. His position, his pleasure. We think about parenting as being that early time in our life when we learn about authority. Parents, let me say something to you, if I may, please, for just a moment. You are doing your children no service if you are a passive parent. If you do not teach them that there is consequence, if you do not teach them accountability, then you are raising someone who is going to believe one day there is no consequence and no accountability. You say, do you have any biblical examples of that? I'm glad you asked. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Eli. Eli's the high priest, and I'm going to talk about the preacher's kids here for a minute. They're only trouble because they play with the deacon's kids, I just want to say. <laughs> Eli, according to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. The word restrain in that text is very interesting. It, it is the Hebrew word that literally means to reprimand or rebuke. So in other words, Eli, being a very passive, laid-back dad, knew that his sons were not doing what they should do. He knew they were involved in stuff they should not be involved in. But rather than restraining them, rather than rebuking them or reprimanding them, he just let it go. And God said, I'm going to judge the house because of this. And he did judge the house. But what's interesting to me is, why did his children do what they did? Because what they did was a sin against God. Why did they do that? Unless they thought there is no accountability. I don't have to answer to dad. So I begin to believe I don't have to answer to God. Matter of fact, we don't have to answer to anybody. If you live your life that way, you're going to be in utter shock at some point in time when God says, wait a minute, you're going to give an account. And by the way, let me say, it won't always be hereafter because the Bible is very clear that God knows how to chasten those who belong to him. Amen? For whatever that's worth to you, you, you can study that out a little later if you like. Reminded of the story of the little five-year-old boy who just finished watching his little brother get dedicated, little baby brother, at the church. And on the way home, he began to sob, just crying, just wouldn't stop crying. Parents asked him what was wrong. He wouldn't answer. Finally, just about the time they got home, he, he gathered his strength and he said, well, he said, I'm upset because the preacher said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home and I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> So be careful. May I say this to you also? It is equally wrong to present before them some, some dogmatism and, and uh, aggressive nature that shows no grace and no mercy. Parents, while it is true that your children will develop their first idea of a God concept from the way you parent, they also develop their first idea 
of authority from the way that you parent. So be very careful to model God to the best of your ability because they're forming opinions based on how you are parenting. Luke chapter 19 records for us a tremendous parable. I'm not going to take time to read it all. Uh, verse number 11 is where it begins. It ends with verse 27. And basically there is an owner. Uh, let me read the first few verses. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minyas or ten pounds, as some of your scriptures may read. And, and then he said, do business till I come. And then the Bible says in verse 15, And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So understand what happened here. Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There's a man that comes and he calls in ten of his servants. And he gives each of his servants ten pounds or ten minyas. And he says to them, now go and trade, occupy till I come, one version says. Do business till I come. Take the opportunities and all that I have gifted you with and use it until I come. Because when I come, I'm going to want to know what you did with it. That should be an amen in there somewhere. <laughs> when I come, I'm going to want to know what you did with your opportunities and your gifts and all that I've given you. I'm going to want to know what you did with it. So he comes. One of his servants came and said, oh, he said, I've gained 10 more. Well done, he said. Another one came and said, I gained five. He said, well done. Another one came and said, I've not done anything with it. I went and buried it because I knew, and the terminology used here, he said, I knew you were an austere man collecting uh, where uh, you did not deposit, and, and I didn't want to lose what I had, so I went and buried it. The re response of the Lord in this text was, if you knew this was the case, why didn't you go and you put my money at least in the bank where when I came, I could have collected it along with interest? The idea is this, God's not interested in the money aspect. What, what he's interested is in the faithfulness of what we do with the opportunities and the gifts that God has given to us. What are you doing with them in relation to the glory of God? The day will come when we stand before him. If you're saved, it's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account for how you're running the race. And quite honestly, he's not going to ask anybody else around you. He's not going to go to your fellow teenagers, young people. He's not going to go and call them in so they can give a report on you. He already has the report. Adults, listen, he's not going to call in all your friends and all the neighborhood and everybody. He's not going to ask them what they think about you. He already has the report. He knows what we've been doing. He knows where we are. He knows whether we've recognized him as Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I love that statement. We make it our aim, he said, to please the Lord. Isn't that what it's all about? If he's Lord of lords and we are his servant, then to please him becomes the reason we live. Amen. 
The Bible tells us that we are bought with a price. And we're to glorify God. Understanding that we've been bought with a price. That we are not our own. He has made that purchase. He has purchased us. We belong to Him. He is the owner of it all. Of it all. I, I struggle so with this because I believe that there's such a fine line here that we would not by, by nature say to anyone, I don't recognize him as Lord. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't come to the reality of that. And yet many times if we're honest with ourselves and we let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do within us, we would have to stop and say, wait a minute. I've not exactly been recognizing him as Lord of Lords. When it's all about me and it's not about him, I've got something wrong. When it's all about what I want him to do instead of, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then I've got something wrong. When, when, it, when it's about pleasing me and not pleasing him, then I've got something out of place. I know I got my fire insurance paid up. I'm not going to go to hell when I die. I'm thankful for that. But what about Lord of your life every day? You know, when we finally grasp this thing, when we finally say, you know something, he has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. When, when we finally understand the through him part of, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. When, we, when all this finally really just comes together for us and we recognize, wait a minute, I have settled the issue of the lordship of Christ, then we live according to the title we have been given more than conquerors every single day we have the victory through Christ Lord of Lords King of Kings would you pray with me Father